Hello and welcome to the Modern House podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to show how a well-designed home can enhance your life and ultimately make you happier. I'm Matt Gibbard, co-founder of The Modern House. For those of you who haven't come across The Modern House before, we're a design-led estate agency. Over the past 15 years, we've shown that people are willing to invest more in a well-designed living space because they understand the positive emotional impact it can have. In this podcast series, I'll be talking to people we admire, from architects and designers to editors and entrepreneurs, and asking them to pick their three favourite homes from anywhere in the world. It could be anything from a well-known modernist masterpiece to a derelict hut in a field somewhere. We'll be looking at the shared characteristics of these spaces and what makes them so successful. So timeless principles like space, light, a truth to materials and a connection to nature. Think of it as a sort of desert island discs for design lovers, but without the music, uh, or indeed any of the gravitas. Our guest today is Rosa Park, who's the founding editor of Serial Magazine. And we talked about everything from why paintings should be hung a bit lower than you think they should, to her very singular relationship with colour. Serial is one of my favourite mags, very, very beautiful biannual travel and style magazine. I think of it as a very pared back aesthetic. Is that what you would say about it? Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, good. <laughs> a bit about your background. You were born in Seoul, weren't you? Yeah, I was born in Seoul, raised in Canada, educated in America, living in England. Okay, hence the hybrid accent. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Um, and you now live in Bath in Somerset. Yep. Okay, with your husband, Rich Stapleton. Yes who's a very accomplished photographer. So the two of you, I think I'm right in saying, the two of you founded Serial. Yes. You still run it together. Yep. You've got a team of eight or ten or so. Yes. Um, and you also have a um, very beautiful gallery that you're just opening up there now. Yeah. Um, called Francis. Yes, it's brand new. Very good. Um, so just tell us about Serial Magazine. Sure. What is it? How did you start it? Why did you start it? What does it stand for? So Rich and I started Serial in 2012. And our goal was very simple and modest. We both grew up traveling and moving from country to country because he is the son of a uh, military man. And my parents retired young. And so as a family, we just moved around. And I think based on that upbringing, we have this sense of traveling is just who we are. And there were travel magazines, lovely travel magazines, just not ones that we felt we could connect to. So that's really how it started. We just said, why don't we try making a magazine that our peers would enjoy reading, that we would enjoy reading. And, you know, we started it in my flat. We printed 1,500 copies, literally packed every unit myself and took it to the post office. So that's how it began. <laughs> yeah. um, and now it's evolved into something similar but different. Um, I think over the course of seven years, we have taken the theme of travel in a more open-minded way. So the moment that you leave your house, you're effectively traveling, right? That's what I think. Whether you're walking somewhere or taking a flight or getting on a train and, you know, what do you see? Like, who are you going to meet and where? So now Serial is a travel magazine, but it's really an intersection of travel, art, and design and people because it's all the things that Rich and I are interested in do the moment that we leave our house. Sure. And I've always had the sense that our readers are growing up with us. Yeah, that's a nice yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. So did you work in a magazine before? 
Yes, a little bit. Um, I started my career in fashion and beauty marketing in New York. I knew I wanted to work for magazines, so I did an internship at T, the New York Times style. Uh, That was a hilarious moment in time because I was the old intern. You know, I was like Chandler from Friends. (laughs) Everybody else was in college or uni, and there was me. But, you know, it was great. I learned so much. I moved to England to get my master's in English literature. Um, And finally, I ended up working for a local magazine called Bath Life. Okay. It's a very small magazine, but I learned much more because the thing about working in a small company is that you wear multiple hats. Yeah. Um, and I think going through that experience allowed me to have a bird's eye view of what goes on in publishing and gave me the courage to start my own magazine. Yeah. How does a girl from Seoul end up in Bath? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think my parents ask me this question every time I see yeah. them. It is an unlikely place for me to end up. So I moved to Bristol because I went to University of Bristol. And uh, at the end of my program, I met Rich, who went to University of Bath. And he said, have you been to Bath? And I said, no. What is that? (laughs) (laughs) I can't even describe to you the first time I saw this city. When I walked up to the circus, to the Royal Crescent, I couldn't understand the city. I'm like, how is this still standing? Everything is built in 1700s. I looked at the Royal Crescent and I said, do people live here? And I said, oh my goodness, I would love to live here one day. And when I graduated, I got a flat in the Royal Crescent. I thought, can I actually live here? Can I get a job here? And then I did. And then I started Serial. And there were so many opportunities for us to leave, but I can't leave because I love it too much. There's something about it. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. But I've, I will celebrate 10 years in the Southwest in 2020. Do you think that Bath as a city and the architecture of the place, do you think that informs your aesthetic output, the magazine, the way that your world looks? Yeah, it does. And I actually didn't really realize that until the last several years because I really like beige. And then I, <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed and then, that about you. And then I realized, huh. The entire city is beige. Um, That's something. And uh, Rich loves the architecture. I think if Rich could have another life, he would be an architect. And we have this insane love and pride of the city that we live in. And I think what Bath taught me is to always understand where things come from. I was so obsessed with everything that was new and avant-garde growing up. You know, I really rejected everything old school. But living in Bath, you kind of grow to understand that everything in life is cyclical and everything influences each other. And it taught me an appreciation of combining time periods, especially in home decor, art. And I think it has affected me more than I even realize now. Yeah. And the peace that you feel when you are in Bath, the moment that you get off that train, people say they feel very calm when they read Serial, and perhaps that's not a coincidence. This is where we live. It's it's a very serene experience as a magazine, I think. You and I have got to know each other a bit because you very kindly featured my house in Highgate in the magazine. And I was really struck by the way that you guys chose to frame it because, you know, traditionally a house feature would be actually quite documentary and it would try and tell the story of the space and how that all fits together. But in fact, what you did was what I would describe as vignettes or moments or corners and nooks and together they conjured an atmosphere of the place, but they certainly didn't tell you the full story of the building in all its kind of naked glory. And I thought that was really beautiful and a really 
that's your really original take on it. Yeah. Well, for your feature, I specifically asked uh, one of our photographers, Ringo Demeter, because she's a master of details. You and Faye are people that people admire and know quite a bit about. And the brief to document this home that you're about to sell, you know, I, I sat down with my team and I'm like, how do we present this in a way that feels really true to us, but true to them and slightly different, I suppose. Yeah. And I said, I really would like to capture the details that betray who they really are as people. Because yeah. I think it's those details that ultimately show you who who are the people who live here. Yeah. I mean, I love space. I love architecture. And I can talk about that and shoot that in that way too. But yeah. I think you being who you are as well as Faye, we wanted to take a more personal approach. I think it really comes through. I mean, I, I suppose the reason that I particularly appreciated that is it resonated very much, I think, with what the modern house is about, Yeah. which is this message that, a house is not a property, it's not a commodity. Yeah. Although we're an estate agency and we sell houses, we're actually really interested in the way that people choose to inhabit them as a home. Yeah. And to me, it's the moments that you discover as you move through your day or through the space. It's yeah. the way that the light falls across it. Yeah. It is the interaction between two different materials. It, it's touching a door handle. Yeah. In fact, there's a book I'm reading at the moment. He talks about the door handle as the yeah. handshake of the home. Yeah. And that, I think, is what you managed to conjure up in that shoot. Yes. You can feel the occupants even though they're not there. Yeah. You, know? you always want to feel, I think, at least for me, that someone has just left the room. Yeah. You still feel their presence in the photograph. Yeah. I love that, by the way, the doorknobs, the hatch. Hatch, I get that. Home. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Um, so moving on then to your gallery, yep. Francis. Yep. So we did a pop-up exhibition in Marlebone. Um, it was very short. It was just two weeks. And that actually, for me, was a test. Do I yeah. really want to do this? It was before we decided to open a permanent space in Bath. And it exceeded my expectations. It was such a wonderful experience. We had 700 people come in two weeks. Right, wow. Um, yes. <laughs> Overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and I think that gave me the courage and the confidence, again, to embark on a new project. Francis Gallery is something that I do alone, so it's my first solo business. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I immediately came back from London to Bath and got this space, and we started renovations and opened in April. What does Francis Gallery represent? Is it like the physical manifestation of everything that you're about? What are you trying to achieve with it? Whenever you start something new in a very saturated market, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And what am I bringing to the table that other people are not doing? And the first element that came into being with Francis was my Korean heritage. So I was born in Seoul. I left when I was seven. But what happened in the last three to four years is I've really reconnected with my heritage, basically. Yeah. Sounds really corny, but it's very true. And every time I go back to Korea, I just want to learn. I'm spending so much time meeting craftspeople, learning about Korean art, antiques, architecture, and it's fascinating. And I'm like, why do I not know about this? This is who I am. Mm. Also, Japanese and Chinese art and design is very well known. Korean is not. Mm. And I guess for me, I felt that there's my message. This yeah. is a chance for me to share my heritage, to share the kind of art that I think is influenced by Korean design and culture. We also represent Korean artists. Um, at Francis Gallery, we only represent Korean ceramic artists because right. it's my favorite genre. Uh, we also celebrate other artists from all around the world, but that's kind of one of our hooks. Mm -hmm. 
And there's very subtle, subtle nods to Korean design throughout the gallery. It's not obvious at all, but it's there if, if you care to look. And then the other side was... There's a lot of beautiful galleries in this world, but so many of them, I can't afford to buy anything from there. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not always about ownership or what you can afford. You can just appreciate it. But I thought, I think I'm going to make a gallery that looks the way that I want it to look mm. with price points that I can afford. Yeah. Um, I can only speak for myself. So you can get a ceramic, there's, there's paintings, what, what else paintings, are you? Paintings, sculptures, sculptures, drawings, limited edition prints. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're a gallery. We sell art. I don't know where it's going to take me, but it's been a lot of fun. Okay, very good. So let's move on to your choice of three living spaces. So we've asked you to pick a trio of spaces anywhere around the world that you get most excited about, engaged with, represent what you're all about. Your first choice is Kettle's Yard in Cambridge. So tell us what is Kettle's Yard uh, and why have you chosen it? So Kettle's Yard is a gallery, but the part of Kettle's Yard that I love the most is the house. It's the former residence of Jim Ede, who was a curator at the Tate. I knew of Kettle's Yard long before I actually got to visit it, so in photos. And um, it's a house, you know, first and foremost. And it's getting a little bit more common now with so many artist homes being turned into museum gallery-like experiences. But I think just what he was doing when he was alive, you know, he wanted people to come look at his collection. He had open house during the weekday for students to just come have tea, read books, look at his amazing collection. Um, He would loan original works from Kettle Jar to students during term time. I mean, like, who does that? You know, it's amazing. And I think more than what it looks like, it's the spirit. It's what he stood for. Um, It made me feel like... You don't have to have a PhD in art history to appreciate this. There is no barrier to appreciating Kettle's Yard. And that's who I am. I have limited publishing experience. I started Serial. I have no art experience. I started a gallery. and (laughs) (laughs) But it is really fueled by just what I like and what I love. And of course, Jim is very different. He obviously had tons of experience. Um, And, you know, there's a quote that was... um, finaled onto the window when I went, I'm going to butcher it now, but it went something (laughs) along the lines of the art only comes alive when people are in this space. And it is like the opposite of, you know, gallery you walk into and you're whispering and you're the only one in there. I think you can spend half a day in there. You can just Mm -hmm. sit on a couch and Mm -hmm. look at the art. And just like his irreverent way of the way that he hangs, you know, I'm like, why is there this painting on the floor in the bathroom you know what does this say about this particular piece and I have so many questions my gosh if I I, if I could meet him but there's so much wit and humor you know the lemon in front of the mirror I love that the lemon is part of the curation you must have a lemon here and I mean as a young very little experienced curator I'm infinitely inspired by him and what Kettle's Yard represents I think what's unusual about it is that it's somebody's home yeah yet you go and experience it as a gallery as well and you're right it's, to me it's those small moments as you move through a house where you turn a corner and you see the way that a set of alfred wallace paintings have been yeah. hung and you think that's surprisingly low yeah. on the wall <laughs> that's really yeah. surprisingly low or yeah wow I, I wonder why he chose to put that with that as you yeah. say that is curation isn't it yeah and i think that's what we try to do at the Modern House to an extent. We try to represent the best of what's on the market at any one time. And you're obviously a curator. You're curating in your gallery, but you're curating in your magazine as yes. well. Yeah. 
How has Kettle's Yard informed the way that you choose to live? Are you inspired by it in terms of your own environment at home? It's made me a hoarder. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Our house is so much more cluttered now than it ever was. Um, That does not always come across in photos you see of our place because things get cleared out. But um, it's just filled with stuff. And actually, when I was reading about Jim Eade, I hadn't realized he's traveled a lot. He's lived in Morocco. He lived in France. He was in the war. He was lecturing in America. He's a traveler. And that struck me because I think when you are a traveler, you can go one of two ways. You can just not want any material possessions because it's just, you know, you're over it. You don't want to carry anything around with you. Or you want to bring something back from every place that you visit. Mm. And I think that's where I fall into. So I travel a lot for work. And I can't help it. I just got to bring something back. You know, my suitcase is filled with stuff, usually books, tiny objects, art. Um, And Rich and I will look at each other like, okay, we can't buy any more art. And we can't help it. It's almost just a way of life. And I think he was very much like that. This is a way of living. Surround yourself with things that you love, beautiful things. Put it wherever you want. Just live with it. Living with art is, is like a way of living life. Yeah. I don't want to use the word lifestyle because I hate that word. But, um, yeah. but yes, effectively that. Yeah. And in so many ways, he's so ahead of his time. Yeah. And I think what he also did was he put, you know, a brancusi next to a pebble. Yeah. And I don't know how common that was in the 50s or yeah. 60s or 70s. Um, now everybody collects pebbles. And, mm. you know, how much of it was his influence or George O'Keefe's influence. Mm. And, you know, yeah, I, I went to Scotland recently and I literally brought back 20 pebbles. Please don't tell anyone also I'm saying it here because um, I think you're not supposed to do that. Where are you going to put them? Um, they're currently in a straight line on a drawer <laughs> in my bedroom. I, I don't know. You know, it's nuts. I have too many things. Um, but it makes me happy. I have the most amount of art in my bedroom uh, because I want to wake up to it and I want to fall asleep to it. Yeah. So the wall opposite our bed is literally covered with art from floor to ceiling. The long kind of chest of drawers that we have is now covered with sculptures and rocks. You know, I used to put things away and then, like, take five things out at a time. But now I'm just like, you know what? Just bring it all out. Mm. Who needs shelving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so things are on the floor. Things are hung very low. I have a painting pretty much, like, just hovering above our uh, floor that obviously is inspired by Kettle's Yard. Yeah. I personally feel it's people tend to hang art far too high yes it floats somehow in it in space then yeah it doesn't relate to anything yeah i completely agree with that and i've hung a lot of our art so that it's level when you're sat down yeah because especially in a domestic setting you're often on the sofa in a dining chair you sat down yeah and at that point you feel relaxed and you're looking at something so a lot of our art is at that eye level yeah i remember Um, a friend came around to our house when i was growing up and he said to me your parents really short (laughs) And I said, why, why are you asking me that? And he said, because the paintings are so low. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am really short. So there is that. <laughs> I like to sit on the floor because I'm Asian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there is some stuff that is at eye level if I was to be sat on the floor. I just have fun. You know, yeah. it's my home. You know, it's not meant for people to see it other than just friends that are visiting. So sometimes things are weird and I'm like, God, why did I do that? And I'll, I'll move it. But I mean, where else can you experiment that much? Yeah. Yeah. When you're putting together the magazine, which is twice a year, yes. what's your editing process there? How do you pull that together? You know, where do you start? Uh, well, it, we start with a theme now. We didn't always have themes, but we've had themes for the last five issues. So the most recent one is Legacy. I can't tell you what our upcoming theme is. No, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't dream of asking. 
But, you know, once we set the theme, which kind of just happens organically amidst conversation in the office, we really try to turn it on its head, right? So legacy, like there's obviously very obvious interpretations of legacy and we'll always do some stories like that. But I'm obsessed with astrology. So we did the five-page article about how modern horoscopes as we know it today came into being the legacy of astrology and horoscopes. Oh, I'd love to know about that. Oh, yeah, it's super interesting. How do you represent that visually? Um, We shot the elements. Okay. Kind of like earth, air, the things that are behind. Yeah, that was really interesting. (laughs) I actually love these photos, shooting air. I think we filled a balloon with air and it was very uh, conceptual. Not that conceptual, but it looked pretty. Um, And we have another story about legacy suggests longevity and how do you get to longevity? It's through health. And we ended up interviewing this very cool duo who has like a men's health lifestyle company because that is absolutely of the moment, right? Wellness. And I think those are two very unexpected stories in an issue titled Legacy. But then we also, you know, interviewed Rupi Carr. And she is a fellow Canadian immigrant. She is a fellow woman of color and a fellow writer. And the legacy that she wishes to leave behind as a poet and a performer, because she's 26. And the fact that she also found her success via the channel of social media, which I think Serial very much did as well, even though we are a print title and we have that in common. It just felt right. And we interviewed family members and friends of Gio Ponti, Georgia O'Keeffe, Eduardo Chiida, about how they are preserving and protecting the legacy. And we had a whole piece about artificial islands and what that could mean for our future, like protecting our environment. So every issue starts with this one word, and we try to push it in as many directions as we can. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) You touched on social media there, and the social media gets a bad rep, in fact. It does. In many ways, rightfully. But businesses like ours and yours actually are founded on the success yes. of social media, aren't yeah. they? You've got a huge following, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? I don't have a clue. Yeah. I always say this to Rich. I said, who are all these people? Yeah. <laughs> Why are they following us? Um, yeah, I think we passed one million, which is strange and also amazing. It's incredible. Yes. Yeah. And um, the thing about social media, I mean, I'm not going to get into it too much because I think we all know why people don't like it. But you just have to look at it as a means to an end. It serves a purpose. It's a tool. It's not the end itself. I think if you think it is the end itself, that's when things can get a little bit contentious. It allowed two kids, basically, we were 26 when we started Serial, living in Bath. Mm. to start a magazine and be able to build a business and get this magazine distributed in 45 countries because social media is free. I would be a fool to not acknowledge the importance of social media in building what we have built. Yes, I can also tell you everything that I hate about it. I also go on social media breaks. I'll delete it from my phone for two to three months at a time in a given year. But, you know, I think you have to just kind of look at it exactly for what it is. It allows me to communicate with my readers and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same for us. It's, it's such a powerful tool yeah. for for selling as well. Yeah. I mean, not only getting your message out there about what you stand for and yeah. your point of view, but actually, interestingly now, it's the way that people also transact. You Absolutely. Know, and that's massively powerful. Yeah. I think if we all learn to just maintain a healthy relationship to social media, it is a positive thing. Mm. It's just that we struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Let's move on, Rosa. Let's move on to your second choice yeah. of living space, yeah. which is the home of Vincent van Doysen. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about who Vincent is and where the house is and tell us about it. Sure. Vincent van Doysen is a Belgian architect, designer, everything. He does everything. He's a polymath. Um, he is based in Antwerp. And I had the pleasure of visiting his home because we interviewed him. Such a warm, nice talented man. Uh, love his dogs. He has three dashins. Um, and, you know, I only discovered Belgian designers about six years ago. I really knew nothing before then. Um, my, my work took me to Antwerp. The thing that struck me the most about the Belgians is the materiality of things. There's mm. a lot of raw materials. There's a lot of just like the soul in a space. And um, minimalism is a word that most people dislike, even the people that are labeled as minimalists. I think I've been labeled as a minimalist. What do you make of that? Sure. (laughs) People can call me whatever they want. Um, But if I were to take minimalism to mean simple things, simplicity, paired back, and I can get on board with that, the Belgian version of that was so warm. I think oftentimes a minimalist space gets criticized for having no soul, for feeling cold, too many clean lines and hard edges. And yet, when you're in Vincent van Duyzen's space and Axel Vervoort, there's not a lot of stuff in there, but there is something. There's this, like, other layer, this presence, this feeling. And Vincent's house is the only house that I have visited in my lifetime where I said, yep, I'll take it. Really? <laughs> All of it. Not yeah. going to change. One lamp. Really? One rug. Yes. It's, is, it, is, it the, is it the bones of the building itself? What is the building? Is it a house? Or it's a house. It's a house. A beautiful house. A period house. Gosh, I should know the answer to this question. I don't know when it was built, but yeah, it's but an old school. Thing. Yeah, it's a traditional yeah. house that he's, he's worked on and converted. Um, there's a beautiful courtyard with a pool. It's it's like four yep. stories. There's an inner courtyard. There's a back garden. He has a hammam. Um, there's a library. I mean, it is quite a house. I think yeah. the only original feature that he said he maintained was the staircase, if I'm not mistaken. It's very beige. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he Perfect. would use the word beige. I think he would use bone or something bone, a lot yeah. more sophisticated than yeah. what I say. And he said that his job as an architect is contribute to the quality of life. And I thought that was so wonderful. Mm. He said, I am not trying to be edgy. I am not trying to be this super trendy guy. This is what I like and this is my style. And everything that I build for me or for you is going to make you feel like you're in a very safe, comforting place. So how did you feel when you walked in there for the first time? What did it do to you? I wanted to lie across his sofa and read his books. Yeah. I didn't do that because that'd be inappropriate. <laughs> Can I just... On the second visit. Yeah. Maybe. And he said, this is my sanctuary. He, he has a very busy life. And he's like, and when I come home, I'm here. And it's like the city doesn't exist. And it is a feeling. And I, I realize now talking to you that maybe what I'm drawn to is always the emotion, right? Mm. Because I love Kettle's Yard for the spirit and the vibe. And I love Vincent's home because of exactly how it makes me feel, which is his intent. Um, Because I think things can look nice or look interesting or look edgy, but that's not enough for me. It has to make me feel something. And I've now been in several of his spaces. The thing is that his design cues are so subtle. But it's so powerful. I think it's incredible what he has built. I mean, the number of hats he wears and he makes lamps, furniture, interiors, the architects. You know, he's the creative director of multiple companies. 
I don't know how he does it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he seems to do it with so much um, poise. It's, it's a beautiful space. Yeah. We'll be publishing pictures of all of these spaces on the website so yeah. people can see. Yeah. But it's very hard with something like that to conjure it photographically, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's about the materiality of it. You have to, to feel there. it under your feet. Yes. Then... It's what you said, like, how does the light fall onto the floor at this time of day? And when it does, how does it change the color of the floorboards? Does it bring out the details of the wood? How does the curtain look when it's drawn, pulled? And when you're in Vincent's space, you just never want to leave. That's how I feel anyway. <laughs> so talk to me about the color aspect of it, because you described it amazingly as beige. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I hear where you're going with that, but it, it's a neutrality. It's a color, but it's not a color. It, yes. What's your approach to color? Oh, gosh. I would say that Rich is much better than I at picking colors, if I'm honest. Right. He has, like, laser X-ray vision. Yeah. The very first time we printed cereal, he presents me with 30 sheets of paper, and they're white. And he goes, I just can't decide which white we're going to go with. I looked at him, and I'm like, what do you mean? They're all kind of the same. <laughs> And he's like, how can you not tell the difference between these 30 sheets? Look. And he, you know, he gets so frustrated with me. I have very bad eyesight. Maybe that's why. Right. He's so sensitive to color. It is insane. Yeah. So he chose the colors for our home and our office. And I vaguely understand what I like, but just the, the specific geekiness of yeah. it all is um, not my forte. Yeah. But what I do love is warm tones. And I think I've also grown to really love... This is very popular at the moment, you know, plaster, just having plaster or plaster-like paint where it's not really a singular color. Yeah, but it's 10 colors in one scheme. And I think that does wonders to make a seemingly minimalist room actually feel alive. Agreed, yeah. Yeah, so that's what we have in our home at the moment. So you, you plaster the walls at home. We got this plaster paint from Jotun called Lady Minerals. It's a Norwegian paint company. Um, yeah. I worked with them on a project I did, and I loved it. So we have that. Yeah. Very inspired by Vincent, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> totally copied him. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless. Please acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah. But I think the color that he has in his home is customized for him. I think he actually uses the word bone. Like, it literally it has this quality of, like, an old bone that you might find in a, in a natural history museum. It's beautiful. And it, the thing is that it looks like a different color depending on what time of day and season. Yeah. And that's so cool. Yeah. Let's move on to your final choice, yeah. which is your parents' house in Seoul. Yeah. Uh, is this where you grew up or how long have they owned it? No, not at all. My no. parents have moved home 19 times. Okay. Yeah, I'm not actually exaggerating. I had to think about that. Um, so this home is in the neighborhood that I was born. They moved into this place five years ago. Um, most people in Korea live in flats. I should say most people in Seoul live in flats because my parents live in central Seoul. And it has a beautiful view of the Han River. And I chose my family home not because I think that it's aesthetically, you know, the nicest place in the world. But the apple does not fall far from the tree. I am a carbon copy of my mother and my father. And I know you've seen pictures of my parents' place that I shared with you. It's just iPhone snaps. But you can see that the simplicity 
is there. And this yeah. is where I grew up. And I remember people asking me when we first launched Serial, like, oh, my gosh, you're such a minimalist. It's so on trend. And I would just laugh because I said, but this is all I've known. This is my life. I was raised in a house with not a lot of furniture. And that's what my parents liked. And that's very unusual for someone of my parents' generation in Korea. It was my father that always did the interiors, not my mother. Again, mm. that's not common. My mom has a great aesthetic sensibility, but my father would always lead the architectural projects. And through them, I got my first insight into the world of design and furniture. And that connection is so important to me because of how close I am to my family. But I don't know. I like that I am like that. You know, some people hate that they're like their parents, but I really look up to them and they are my mentors. And I like that I rebelled for a little bit, you know, when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. And my dad loves it. He makes fun of me all the time. He's like, you're just like me. Great. You know, it's come full circle. And they have some beautiful Korean antiques and Korean ceramic in their home, some of which they've bought, some of which they inherited from my grandfather. And I really like that. I, I like the continuity. I know that one day when that time comes, my brother and I will inherit some of these antique pieces. and. When I'm home, it's just, it's home. And even though my parents have moved 19 times, they are all the same. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. it's their house. Sure. And it's their style, and it's them. My parents have lived in Honolulu, Los Angeles, Seattle, Vancouver, Seoul, like all over. And I walk in, and I'm like, oh, God, how did you do this? It looks exactly the same as the last place. Yeah. And I love that consistency. I, I kind of strive for that consistency. I'm very fickle as a person, which Rich criticizes me for. <laughs> but um, I think maybe one day in the near future, I might finally find that. And I'm, this is my thing. This is my vocabulary. This is my vernacular. And I think that's why their home is so special to me. I think, to me, you've hugely found your own vernacular. I think cereal <laughs> is such an identifiable thing. Yeah. If you showed me a, a spread from a magazine without showing me the cover, yeah. I think I would know that it was serial. So I think that yeah. says a lot about That's really nice. what yeah. you've achieved. So do you go back to Seoul a lot and see your parents? Every year. Every year? Every okay. year uh, for my mom's birthday. Okay. You talked about it being something that they take with them wherever they go, that yeah. aesthetic. What is it? How do you describe it? So it's always neutral colors, yeah. hardwood floors. They love their Italian furniture, you know, yeah. a little B&B Italia. Yeah, um, yeah. So just like very simple but beautiful pieces of furniture. Everything is very low to the ground. That's very them. Like every coffee table, sofa is low to the ground. Maybe that's why I'm really into that because um, they want to accentuate the height of ceilings. They're all about the lighting, very moody, dark lighting and natural light, nothing too bright, and just a very select number of objects and art pieces that have been with them for decades, and it just travels with them. And they buy things slowly and with so much consideration. I also aspire to that, no impulsive purchases. <laughs> and actually for them, the most important part of their house is the kitchen, right. which is not the case for me. Because they're excellent cooks, and I can barely make spaghetti. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, my parents have two kitchens. So they have a kitchen that's more domestic and good-looking, and there's like an industrial kitchen <laughs> in my family home. Because my father was a restaurateur before he retired, right. and he is so passionate about food. And they have four refrigerators, one dedicated to each type of cuisine. Yeah. They're very interesting people. So there's like Italian, French, Korean— American. 
and I eat so well when I go home. But yeah, when I think of my parents' home, I think about the food, the kitchen, and how clean they are. I didn't realize that I was a neat freak until I left my family home and started living with roommates. Uh, when people come over to our flat, some of them, it freaks them out. They're like, is this really how you live or did you just clean the house for me? I'm like, no, this is how I live. <laughs> like a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the final thing I'd like to ask you about is you've lived quite a peripatetic lifestyle. Yes. It sounds like you've lived in lots of countries. Your parents moved 19 times or whatever yeah. it is. And you travel a huge amount as well, yes. don't you? You, yeah. you were telling me previously that you still like to go and personally experience and review every single place and everything that goes yeah. into your serial travel guide, yeah. which I think is incredible. Yeah. So for people listening, they want a great travel guide that's been yeah. personally endorsed. That's an amazing thing, I think. Yeah. But then what does home mean to you? Because you have to have an anchor, right? Yeah. All that travel. What is home for you? It's the people in my life. I don't have a physical sense of home. No city really feels like my home. No place actually feels like my home. I think some people find that very depressing, but that's all I know. And very lucky for me, that's all Rich knows. Um, I always say this. I am loyal to nothing except for people. Right. So once I actually form a connection to someone, I'm like, I'm sorry, but you are stuck with me. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not creepy clingy. Um, yeah. But I have had friends for life, literally for life. I, I was actually just at my best friend's wedding in Boston uh, where I was her maid of honor. I've known her since I was 17. I have another friend. I've known her since I was six. And when I'm with these people and I don't see them for a year, two years, and then we, you know, we Skype and we WhatsApp, but it's incredible because I see them. And it's like I go back to being 17 yeah. or six and we just slide into our routine like nothing has happened. And you don't have that with everybody, obviously. And that's why you cherish these relationships. But when I'm with them, that feeling and going back to the emotion again, yeah, that's home. It must be similar to what people feel when they go home to a physical place. The familiarity, the comfort, the warmth. Yeah. I get that from a very small number of people that are in my life. Yeah. I guess a great point to finish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Rosa. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Fascinating stuff. Likewise. Uh, thank you. Thank you for coming to see us. Thanks so much. Thank you. So that you don't miss an episode of the Modern House podcast, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. And we would love you to rate and review to help other people find us as well. This episode was produced by Caroline Hughes and the executive producer was Kate Taylor. Head over to our website, themodernhouse.com, where you can find more information and lots of lovely photographs of the homes we talked about today. This episode of the Modern House podcast was recorded at Phoenix Court in Somerstown in London, right next to King's Cross Station. Uh, it's an amazing new building for the emerging tech community designed by the Spanish architect Salgas Cano, uh, complete with ceilings made from the insides of mattresses, would you believe? You may remember their colourful serpentine pavilion from a few years ago. A huge thank you to Robin Klein and the team here at Phoenix Court for letting us use this recording studio today. Mm -hmm.